welcome to the Brad Worthy Culture Podcast, where leaders share how they've created a company so incredible their employees have to tell their friends about it. And now, here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Brad Worthy Culture. Today, we're chatting with Andy Rasick. Andy is currently the head of sales at Tango Health, a leader in the employee benefit decision support and engagement space. And Andy will share with us exactly what that means and what they do. Andy's had 10 years of progressive sales experience within the HR space, ranging from talent acquisition, headhunting, payroll and HCM, and now, of course, decision support at Tango. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Jordan, thanks for having me. Super happy to be here. Awesome, man. Appreciate your time. Andy, I want to call out right away because I think the mission of your company addresses this. The world of employee benefits is a confusing one for your average employee, right? I'm supposed to understand premiums and deductibles and max out-of-pocket expenses and, you know, adding dependents at the right qualifying event in a certain window. It's it's a lot to it. I don't know about you, but I missed the health insurance lingo class in college. So from my reading of, of Tango Health website and some of your content on LinkedIn, I'm guessing Tango can help with all of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you're you're dead on, right? Like I don't think anyone really taught us how to be consumers of insurance products and as right. Americans especially, insurance is super important for us. And it's it's tough because it's it's technical, it's legal, it's financial and it varies on a state by state basis based on how the the rules and the laws go. So most people they want to spend like maybe 5 minutes tops a year thinking about, you know, which plans right. and benefits to choose and it's just like I get it. It's frustrating and confusing, but like we should really spend a little bit more time or at least get some resources to help us figure this stuff out for sure. Yeah. So jump in and tell us a little bit, just starting out with Tango and what you guys do for your clients, how that decision support actually works, how much of that is tech, how much of that is people, and and just give us a little overview if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. Happy to. Um, So we provide an employee-facing portal accessible via any web device that, you know, in the background, we've taken our clients' benefits and plans and we've ingested them into our software. And using a lot of data and a little bit of questions that we'll ask employees, we'll help them understand and choose which benefit plans actually make the most sense for them and their families based on the relevant pieces of data. That's great. What what types of data you know, goes into that. I'd imagine age, you know, where they live, what their family makeup is. I mean, do you get into health history? I mean, how, how deep dive is it, you know, in terms of helping people make those decisions and, and driving those recommendations and so forth? Yep. Yeah. We strike a, a balance there because similar to, you know, hey, um, people don't really want to spend a lot of time in this stuff. We got to be careful about our user experience so that we're not right. asking people to sit through, you know, half hour, 45 minutes of experience. But yeah, we'll, we'll grab um, age, gender, spouse, similar de- demographics, number of dependents, right. income. And then as far as the, the health history piece, we've got a couple of different ways of solving that. For our self-funded groups, we actually get a claims feed set or we can get a claims feed set up. So we can say, hey, Jordan, you your spouse, your kids, et cetera, you guys consumed these services, specifically these services. Right. And obviously like, hey, maybe, you know, little Timmy had a broken arm last year. You probably don't need that urgent care visit. You probably don't need that x-ray, but the rest of the stuff you guys consume, how many visits to your primary care physician, how many visits to your specialists, your prescriptions, et cetera, right. we, we keep that in there. And you can edit those to your heart's content to model what you think your year is going to be like. Cool. 
And then we'll just do the math and be like, hey, based on what you told us, this is the best plan for you. It's the, it's the best annual net cost for you and your family. Right. Here's how it compares to the other plans. Here's how much you should put into an HSA, FSA. Mm. Hey, if you're picking a high deductible plan, maybe consider some of the other voluntary plans as like stop right. gaps and all that kind of stuff. But basically the, the user experience, I mean, you can spend about five minutes on our platform and get a recommendation on a plan and it's good. It's a data backed recommendation on a plan. Right, right. Which is which is worlds more than what most people have when they're sitting there trying to make those decisions and calling up their mom or dad or somebody that's done it before I go, what the heck does this mean? And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, all the lingo. And that's great. Is the majority of that engagement taking place at the open enrollment or are there times where people are coming back in and going, hey, how do I add a, a dependent? And like, can you help me with this question? Is that part of the process as well? Yeah. So our, our solution is available year round. Yeah. Majority of the usage, you know, not surprisingly, is around open enrollment. Sure. Obviously, it's available for new hires as well. And yeah, yeah. for qualifying life events, it's there too. Right. So um, yeah, it, it is uh, available the whole way through. And one of the questions you asked earlier that I didn't, didn't address, we have a, a call center option. And it's an optional buy-up. So if people do okay. want to speak with a human and just confirm like what it is that they're reading, because these are complicated decisions and yeah, there's thousands of dollars in the balance here. So that's, that's an option for some of our clients as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious just in terms of the last 14 months and with COVID and so forth, obviously an uptick in infectious disease claims, I would guess, as well as, you know, mental health. I'm curious what you guys are seeing in terms of just trends in your user engagement or even in just the, the hard data that you're using to make these recommendations? What's changed over the past year or so? Yeah, I I can't answer that directly. I mean, part of it is we look at we look at the data from a very holistic standpoint. We're not getting like nitty-gritty into the claims data we're receiving from our clients because that's not at least currently a service that that we're providing. Right. I do know that we do have a couple of clients that are healthcare providers. So we've got some yeah. very large hospital systems and mm. we try to keep very close with all of our clients, of course, but you know, we we're trying to get a better understanding of, you know, hey, what is what is your outlook? What are you guys seeing out there as far as consumption goes and whatnot? And they're like, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, like we're seeing a lot of emergency room and ICU stays, unfortunately, due to due to COVID. But right. the other hand, we're not seeing a lot of elective surgeries and whatnot. So a lot of people are just mm. postponing as much as much care as they can choose to postpone. Okay. I haven't seen the data, but yeah, I would be shocked if, you know, mental health needs weren't spiking, but I right. don't know the the actual right. answer to that myself. When when you're talking to a potential client, like what are the goals of your buyer? You know, why do they engage a benefits kind of decision support? Why is engagement so important for your buyer and, and education and making the right decisions? What, what, what are those aspects where you, you know, you're in that meeting and you see the light bulb go off and they're like, okay, give me pricing. I'm ready to go. You know? Yeah. 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 There's there's typically a couple of different use cases. A lot of people I'm working with are anywhere from the benefits analyst to you know VP of total rewards. They're pretty much yeah. somewhere in the in the benefits group for the the organization. Right. A lot of them do have experience being employee facing, mm-hmm. and most companies prevent their their employees from giving advice or recommendations. Right. Right. Whereas like if you're in the business for a while, you understand like. Hey, are you generally healthy? Do you not have any chronic conditions? Does your company offer you a high deductible plan? 
get it and then dump any extra money into the HSA. Like that's, that's the heuristic advice that, that anyone that knows this business for more than a couple of minutes, it's like, yeah, that's how it works. Like if someone right. asked me at a barbecue, that's exactly what I'm going to tell them about yeah. how to pick right. it. But the benefits professionals, they, they, they're not empowered to do that from a morality ethics standpoint, or at the very yeah. least from a liability standpoint, sure. they're like, I can't. I'm sorry. I wish I could. And like, maybe they can try to nudge people a little bit, right. but they can't do it. They know the answer, right? Yeah. yeah. And like, especially with most groups being self-funded, the company doesn't care which plan the person is in. They just want mm-hmm. the best healthcare outcomes, right? Just please right. seek preventive care and whatever else after that. Right. Right. So part of it is they just want that some level of third-party support that can support their employees and they okay. don't have to be on the hook for those conversations. Another piece is, and I, I totally get this as a salesperson because I have so many of the same conversations over and over. Yeah. They just don't want to have to have a thousand of the same conversations, right? That's right. monotonous and that's not really worth their time. Cause I mean, if you're a, if you're a mid-level benefits person, you're, you're not making entry-level money, right? You're making right. okay money. And yeah. it's like, that's, that just doesn't make sense for your company to pay you to have, have those conversations with people. So right. let's get an automated solution, a software solution mm. to just have that conversation with people and also be there 24 seven, 365. Right. The other yeah. really big use case is when there's major plan changes because people freak out when there's changes, right? Sure. You know, hey, are you taking a plan away? Is a plan changing? Are, are the costs changing a lot? Are you introducing a plan? That's a fantastic time to pick Tangle or honestly, any of our competitors get a solution. That's, that's right. what the company needs to do. Right. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. And I like your point around, you know, the HR professionals that obviously have a broader skill set than sitting there and giving advice on which plan to pick when data can do that and technology can do that and, and the call center, if you need it, then yeah, don't waste the, the talent and the skill set that's you know, there to support and care for your people in deeper, more meaningful ways when the tech can do this. That, that makes a, a whole lot of sense. And it's really a just a allocation of the right resources to the right tasks. You For know, sure. that makes a ton of sense. Well, so before we got into the podcast, we were chit-chatting a little bit. You mentioned formerly being in an office and, you know, for most, most listeners are not going to be able to see the video and see the big gong behind your head right now. But you mentioned sort of the office shut down and, 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 you know, you guys got rid of the gong and many other things and they went home to some of your people. How's that gone, you know, personally for you? And, and also just as you manage others, how are you approaching kind of caring for them, keeping them connected to each other, connected to you, you know, mentally healthy, like, tell me about your journey with that. Yeah, it's um, it's been tough for sure. I don't think I don't think anyone's had an easy time with this. I mean, obviously there there's some silver linings, like you know, not having to, to commute. And hey, as long as I'm professional from the waist up, I'm good to go, right? Yeah. So I mean, like there's there's nice things, but there's there is a lot of challenge with it. So I mean, for instance, I've got a very small team. It's myself and 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 one other person supporting me. The last time I saw him in person was during his final interview. He onboarded remotely. I trained him remotely. Wow. We've been working remotely together for well over a year now. Yeah. And it's it's tough, right? Because I mean, like to, to build a build a relationship with someone, it requires time, and it's it's really tough to cut out the in person, physical, social aspect of that. So yeah. I mean, like right now, like I mean, earlier today, we were sending memes back and forth to each other, right? Like anything to just kind of like make it a little bit less of a purely business transactional kind of relationship yeah. is important. 
you know, we, we do a couple of cool things in our company where we have a, we have a shout outs channel. So if anyone does anything super cool, Hey, just give them kudos. Right. So we do that. I started a book club for us internally shortly after the pandemic huh. started. It's like, Hey, let's, cool. let's find some way of interacting socially. Right. That's not just, Hey, let's have drinks over zoom or something. Cause we yeah. all got pretty zoomed out pretty quickly. I think, yes. but I mean, now there's, there's a bunch of little things, but it's just like, Hey, let's, let's try and just keep the, keep the person, keep the human top of mind mm. throughout all this. And yeah. I mean, I'm not perfect at it by any means, but culture, like building and maintaining one is, is, is just fundamentally important to any, any organization, any team. Yeah. I mean, as a salesperson, I mean, you are on, I would imagine meeting after meeting after meeting and, and not only that, but you mentioned there is sometimes a bit of monotony because you're having the same conversation. You're answering the same questions, same objections, et cetera. How, how do you personally just kind of get away throughout the day, walk around, exercise, call a friend. Like what it what is your mechanism? Because you in my mind would be one of in your position would be kind of at the peak of danger of being kind of zoomed out, burned out, etc. So tell me kind of successes and maybe some failures in, in your own journey there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I, I adopted pretty early on and just kind of dumb luck is uh, I would go for a walk for about an hour every lunch. And then it was typically listening to either a podcast or a book on tape, occasionally music, but I, I like to keep my mind somewhat occupied. Okay. And then the particular value about that is with music, you can you can listen to it and you can zone into it, or you can just think about the stuff you're thinking about anyway. And right. but with podcasts and books on tape, like you will zone into those things. Uh-huh. So that gave me just a little bit of exercise. Can be walking, not a, a lot, but a little bit of physical exercise and a, and a mental break from the work yeah. I was doing. And then even if I had a really busy day and I knew I had a bunch of stuff, like a bunch of deadlines I had to meet, just the 45 minutes or hour long break was huge as far as my mental health and my productivity, because I, I'm, I'm definitely one of those people where if I sit at my desk for four hours straight, like I'm getting nothing valuable done by the end of those four hours. Right. Cause like yeah. the stress is just built up and I haven't found a, found a way to, to get rid of it. So that was, that was super, super helpful and valuable for me. And luckily I kind of stumbled upon that pretty early on into this Yeah, way back in the beginning of this, you know, I think I had like two or three weekly social zooms in the evenings, like when we first got into lockdown, like, I don't think any of us knew the heck, what the heck we were doing. So no. that was just, Hey, I need, I need to see people, right? right? Like I just need to see people. So I mean, that was, that was super helpful, but yeah, I mean like getting, getting zoomed out was, was a lot. So before yeah. too long, I'd, I'd start having basically like conversations or emails. It's like, Hey, you know, do you want to be on video for this call? Like, I don't have a preference. So like give people mm. the option. Cause people feel obligated or a bit awkward. If one person starts a video call and the other person like, isn't ready to, or just doesn't right. want to. Right. So just trying to, trying to meet people where they are in a bit more of a human way was, yeah. has been really important. And then I try to find a way to laugh on every sales call that I'm on because <laughs> yeah. if, if you can't enjoy yourself and you're not like relaxed enough to laugh, then that's, that's just kind of a good indicator that something isn't going right. I mean, obviously yeah. there are, there are some sticky calls if, you know, Hey, implementation isn't going the way it's supposed to, or right, sure. something didn't, you know, something is going bad. Like, yeah, those aren't, you know, those aren't laugh calls, but like pretty much everything else, like try to, try to find a way to stay light and loose enough that you're, yeah. you're enjoying yourself instead of just going through the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. Totally feel you there. And yeah, just not looking at the screen for 30 minutes and, and just having that ability to walk around and just take an old fashioned phone call or, or a video list zoom or whatever, you know, it's, 
that's a uh, life-giving in and of itself. Do you anticipate that, you know, your company, you guys will kind of get back to an office setting at some point this year, hybrid, not at all. I and mean, what are you expecting? So we got pretty lucky with when our lease was up. So we went fully remote officially at the end of March of this year. Okay. So we gave up the office, decommissioned, all that kind of stuff. Cause you know, we're a tech and a services company. So we don't really need to be in person to do our work. Obviously it's valuable, right. but we went yeah. fully remote at the beginning of the lockdown lockdown. And we, we plan on having probably quarterly meetings just to get together, see each other and whatever safe, space, manner, way we can figure out to do it. But there's currently no plans for us to resume officing again. Okay. Got it. Got it. So more so just finding ways to connect throughout the year, not necessarily in some sort of official space where you're hanging your shingle, but I mean, what, what sort of ideas I'm, I'm always, I feel like listeners are always just like looking for like, man, what can we do to connect and so forth? Cause you, you guys are certainly not alone in that approach. So what are some of the ideas that have come about not that are non-virtual, non-Zoom, like, hey, we're going to go get together and do A, B, or C? Yeah, I'm blissfully not part of those planning committees. Okay. But I, I think, from what I've heard, I think we're talking about, like, you know, some sort of outdoor space or probably some sort of, like, park-type uh, spot. And, you know, obviously that becomes challenging with like laptops or devices as far as like what work yeah. you can actually get done. Sure, but, right. you know, I mean, we're, we're a pretty safety conscious group of people and trying to be as inclusive yeah. as possible without making people right. feel awkward for this kind of stuff. So some level of outdoor space. And I mean, we're, yeah. we're fortunate that the majority of our companies down here in Austin, and it's typically warm enough most of the year for something like that to happen. Be a bit tougher if, you know, someone's in like Minnesota or something like that. Yeah, that would be a little bit more difficult. So it, most of the employees are there in Austin, you said? Yeah, yeah. I think we only okay. have uh, probably about three or four people that are remote okay. outside of Austin, that is. Oh, well, that's nice. I mean, that, that creates some some opportunities for you guys. When COVID is quote unquote over, you know, you guys have, you know, or at least maybe we've hit that high of immunity and so forth. Are you expecting there to be a shift kind of in your in, in your company and in your industry around like just growth? Like, do you see recruiting being a big part of what's coming down the track as a result of, you know, all the studies are saying ah, 30, 30, 40 percent of people are leaving their jobs. Like, do you think that's accurate? You know, or, you know, as the head of sales, do you participate much in the recruiting side of things? Not a ton. I mean, obviously I've got recruiting for, for my own function. Yeah. Right. But I mean, yeah, I, I can't begin to speculate on what's going to happen with the employment market at, after we're quote unquote done. Cause I mean like so many of the knowledge worker, tech worker, et cetera, jobs, like we've proven you don't really need to be in person. So like right, right. suddenly what happens to, is it necessary to live in a, in a medium to big city to have a, a decent high paying job? Not right. really. Like, Hey, do you have the internet? Yeah. Okay. You're good to go. So, <laughs> I mean, it'll, I, I, I don't know. I can't speak from my own experience, but I can, I can only speculate in uh, just the way everyone else is probably speculating. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Andy, I'd love to hear, I know you're a leader in the organization. I, I just had a, a podcast recording actually earlier today where the leadership team got together in these past 12 months and really looked at values and where we're headed. And I thought, what an interesting time when we're kind of, our social lives are limited and we're kind of struggling in different ways. We're probably a little bit more introspective anyway, just as human beings, right? So what better time to get together and think about where are we going? Who are we? And those sorts of questions. 
as a leader, have you been able to engage with the rest of the leadership on on any of that this past year? Yeah, your your timing is is really good. Or when we're having this conversation is really good. Um, literally just last week, we had a leadership offsite meeting and we talked about codifying our our corporate culture because Tango's got a really really good culture, but we've never really communicated it. You just experience it by living it, right. and we don't. You know, we don't hire a ton of people. We don't lose a lot of people. We're a pretty steady group, but, you know, we've had, uh, I think about three people or so join us either completely remote or largely remote. Okay. And we're like, well, how do we, how do we try to bring them into what our culture is? Cause I mean, culture is, is typically something you live, breathe and experience. You know, you don't just right. say our culture is X, Y, Z, but so we went through that exercise of, you know, trying to identify what each of the, the different leaders thought and felt our culture is, as well mm-hmm. as, you know, hey, what are some things that we want to guard against, right? Because right. culture is is fascinating because, I mean, you can pick and choose whatever culture you want to have. And that's typically a top-down kind of thing, like the CEO to the executive team, to the mid-level management, to the, to the individual contributors. And any culture can work, but mm. it needs to, it's, it's helpful when people are aware of what it is, you know, eyes wide open on the front end right. and just, okay, if this is a good fit for me, great. This is the kind of group I want to be a part of, mm. but there's, there's not a good or bad of any type of culture, but it's like, Hey, let's, let's try and make these values a bit more apparent so that people can kind of use them and, and work with them in, in the way that we work. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And what came out like what came out of that for you guys? Like if you were to put a post together of like, come work with us and here's the type of organization we are. I mean, what's the kind of summary of those values that you've identified? Yeah, uh, that's that's an open topic right now. So I think we've got an yeah. internal poll where the the entire employee population is kind of like voting or, or sharing their their cool. thoughts and viewpoints on it. But I'm going to go ahead and bet that uh, being inclusive is part of it. Tango's got a very diverse group of people, some obviously diverse, some less so. Um, but we, we do a great job of welcoming people and mm. you know, just, oh, hey, come to work as who you are. And as long as you're delivering good work, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, I do not care about anything else. Right. So like, whatever you do outside of work, I don't care. Uh, you can identify right. as whatever you want. And as long as you're doing good work and being a good person, your coworkers, awesome. Cool. So right. we're, we're really good yeah. at that. We're, we're collaborative. And, and I think, you know, despite the fact that we've got a, a really smart, sharp team of high performers, we do a really good job of staying humble, which is of course a mm. bit of an oxymoron for me to say that and brag about it. But in, in meetings, we, we don't have people that are like, oh, well, actually it is this way. It's more like, oh, well, I don't see it that way, but help me understand what it is that you're seeing that, you know, yeah. leads you to you, you to see that. And even if, even if, you know, someone's mind isn't changed by, by having that as part of our culture, you know, we we're at least making sure that we're open to additional perspectives and we're not shutting anything down because, yeah. I mean, obviously a big recipe for failure is just cutting down on communication, feedback, critical feedback. And we're, right. we're good at fostering that. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic. You intentionally, I mean, you want to have a diverse workforce in terms of perspective and ethnicities and genders, et cetera. Right. And that's going to lead to just like any, you know, any group of people, any five people you put in a room, you're going to have differing opinions and you're going to have differing even beliefs, right? So deeper seated things. And so this concept of coming up with values that you can agree on, but also understanding that you disagree and you're going to disagree in perpetuity mm-hmm. on many deep, you know, seated things in life. 
that's so important. And I think it's great that your organization not only got together as a leadership team and said, hey, let's talk about this and let's come up with some things. But then, but then your next step was, no, let's not just make decisions, which I sort of, I guess, presumed that you did when I asked the question. But, but no, you went and, and took it to everybody and said, what do you think? Right. And so there's there's that inclusiveness and that discovery that's taking place there to understand kind of in aggregate. What can we focus on that we do have in common that we do value together? Right. And then to an extent, I actually I kind of like your comment around like and I know you I know you don't mean I don't care what you do outside of work as in like I don't care about you. But like I don't care how we're different is how I took that. Like I don't, I don't care about the fact that. I, I'm doing this or I'm cheering for that team or I'm on this political spectrum or what, and you're not, right? That's, that's life, right? Like that's, that's real life to say, we're not the same, but we can have this great culture and environment and work towards a common end and enjoy one another. I think the world needs more of that. You know, <laughs> like that disagreement, but in a sense of sort of, of peace and understanding and respect for one another through those differences. That's really that's really cool. I really enjoyed hearing you talk about that. So Andy, in that, you know, in that same vein, I know you guys are going to both prescribe and sort of describe what your culture is through learning from your people and aggregating all that feedback and so forth. But this isn't the only company you've ever worked for, right? This isn't the only culture you've ever experienced. So I'm curious, just from your personal standpoint, what are those common threads and themes throughout all of the best cultures that you've experienced, you know, that you could identify that might help some of our listeners as they're, they're building their own culture? Yeah, there's a lot of different markers and guideposts that can indicate what good culture is and what bad culture is. But I mean, I think the, the most important thing that I've found um, in really any company or any team I've worked for is finding a sense of, I think they call it psychological safety. And that's just the, that's just the, the feeling you get when you're with people in a group of people. And this isn't strictly limited to work, but it's especially valuable for work where you're, you're comfortable taking risks or you're comfortable making mistakes because until you get that, you're, you're on edge a little bit and you certainly can't perform to the level that you could otherwise. You know, me being a salesperson, I, I kind of have a unique edge there or unique experience where salespeople, if they're performing, the company is generally not ever going to get rid of them, right? You have right. to do something pretty grossly horrible for your company to get rid of you if you're a performing salesperson. Right. So most of my experience is typically join a new company, keep my head down for a while, figure out the lay of the land, start producing, and then I can really breathe because mm. I've earned enough credibility internally where I can, you know, I've got a bit of political capital and latitude regardless of my level of seniority in the organization. But right. what I'm really getting at here is in whatever organization, team, et cetera, you're in, find a way to foster psychological safety for your team mm. so that they feel comfortable being who they are and yeah. saying the things that are like, oh, this might make me sound stupid if I say this, or I don't want to be wrong. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Right. Um, but like all of the, all, like there's so many good insights that more junior or potentially more guarded people have that they're just scared to share because they right. just don't feel psychologically safe in their, in their teams or in their organizations. So like whatever it is that like, is that, that magic formula that creates that focus on that and right. that will get the, the right performance and just the right attitude and experience from your, from your team and from your organization. Yeah, man, that's excellent. Yeah. I, I always 
tell people in our organization, like, you're not above anything, but you're also not below anything, right? You're not above it, meaning like, we're, we're, we're all the janitor here. Like, whatever we need to do to like, pull, you know, push this company forward, we can't have this haughty attitude of like, I'm beyond that, I, you know, but you're also not below anything. Right. If you you got ideas to bring to the table, you see something in our company that's broken or just could be better. I don't care if you started today, you know, like I want to know. But you're right. There's a difference between saying, hey, I want to hear those ideas and so forth and actually creating an environment where I'm not worried about sounding stupid or I'm not worried about stepping on toes or I, I can just be, you know, kind of bold and act with a little courage and, and just say those types of things. What, what have you seen in terms of facilitating that? Like, what is it on a leadership level, just leaders that are just humble themselves and that just sort of trickles down? Is it, is it more about being kind of learners? You know, which maybe those two things go hand in hand, humility and being a learner. But practically, what organization outside of the one you're involved in now with Tango, like, where have you seen that done well, you know, that you're like, oh man, that was a great leader because of how they handled that aspect. Yeah. I'd said, I think a couple of different ways. Uh, one, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of the idea of, of servant leadership, especially uh, Jocko. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. Willink, I want to say his book, Extreme Ownership. The general gist is that, you know, if you're the leader, the success is the team's success and the failure is, is your failure. Cause I mean, hmm. that's, that's the job you're in. And if you, if you're able to adopt that, then your team feels a sense of safety because Mm. if your team didn't deliver, then you messed up as the leader because you didn't, you didn't identify the problem soon enough. You didn't give them the right tools, training, whatever. You didn't give them the resources they needed, or maybe you didn't have the right people on the team, but either way, that's, that's your mistake. And if the team performs, that's their performance, right? So don't, Mm. so give as much credit as you can and take as much blame as you can. And that, that allows people to be like, okay, yeah, my, my boss, my leader is looking out for me and they're, they're not going to throw me under the bus. They're going to throw themselves under the bus. Um, so that, that's one thing that I've, I've tried to embody to, to, to the best I can. Um, and I've, I've had a couple of leaders that even if I know I definitely messed up, they're the ones that, you know, kind of, kind of take the brunt of the, the fallout there. And that just is, is so incredibly empowering as, as mm. an individual, um, when that kind of thing happens. And, uh, I don't think I've seen this personally, but I know that Adam Grant talks about it in originals, but he's talking about Ray Dalio and Bridgewater and Bridgewater's culture is famous, right? Like Dalio's book on like the principles of management or whatever it is, like you're talking about a couple hundred pages of his like rules and edicts and his culture in there. And like, they're super, super open about criticism. And like, basically at one point there was a story that Adam Grant wrote about, you know, Dalio was on a meeting with one of his people and he's the CEO of his firm. He was on the meeting. And after the meeting, the person sent him an email and like, Ray, you really screwed up that meeting. It, It feels like you weren't prepared at all for it. That was really important for us. And Dalio forwarded that to his entire company, putting himself on blast, basically, to really, really live that culture of criticism is important as long as it's fair and justified. Mm. Um, And just like, just imagine being at the company where your CEO is like, everyone look at, look how I screwed up. Like this was bad. I I messed up. And like, obviously, you know, there, I'm sure there's still high performing people with a lot of expectations, but like that, that level of transparency and being open about making your mistakes, like that's gotta be so freeing uh, as a, as a, as a rep or as a, as an employee of that firm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that speaks volumes. I mean, that, that's, that's permission, you know, and that's something that's come up in our podcast 
several times in different ways. You know, that's permission to fail, right? And then there's other other forms of permission where, you know, we're worried about burnout and we talked about not taking video calls and walking around the neighborhood and so forth. And there was one guest that shared that their CEO has on their calendar, like every little social thing that they do throughout the day, like every little mental break, every walk, I'm hanging out with my daughter, I'm playing racquetball, whatever, and very intentionally to show I don't work all the time, you know, because there's something about leaders, you know, when you look at leaders and you see what they do, and it's just, I don't care what they say, I don't care what they preach, you know, but what you see on their calendar that they're taking that time. And then in this case, that they're taking the blame when they screw up. I mean, there's really nothing that could replace that, you know, that, that level of transparency. That's really, that's really cool. I'm curious, one last question before I let you go. I'm curious, just looking at your, your LinkedIn profile and some of the different companies you work for, and you seem to like this space, you know, this HR benefits, like that kind of space. Is there something about you that, you know, you're particularly passionate about being part of organizations that simplify the lives of their employees or, or just enhance the employment experience? Is there anything kind of internally that drives your decisions of where you go and work? I wish I had a, a slam dunk answer for that, but uh, <laughs> when I when I think about that, I think the I think the real answer is I I like genuinely helping people and feeling good about what I do in the day, right. which is tough as a salesperson in some organizations because like if you really dive into the product or the service or the cost, you're like. I, I really can't morally or ethically get behind what it is that I'm representing to the market because right. there's better stuff out there. Right. So it, it's just fundamentally, it comes from a sense of, of service and wanting to feel good and, and mm. sleep well at night. Mm. I just happen to kind of luckily fall into the HR and talent space and I've enjoyed it a lot. Like that's why I spent mm. three years, four years doing headhunting is that you get to know people one-on-one and if that deal works out, it's because that person wanted that job and that company wanted to hire that person. So like you're right. not really selling anything that's not already represented itself. Yeah. And also you just get to meet a ton of people and help people out. And like, unfortunately, mm. even experienced people that are really good at their jobs, a lot of us forget the language, but we suck at representing ourselves in job searches. Unless you're a salesperson or unless you're a recruiter, a lot of people just don't get it. Right. So being able to help people just like navigate that was tremendously rewarding. And, mm. you know, selling software that's good that you can actually put your put your name and your brand behind, like, yeah, I believe that everyone should use this. Everyone would benefit from it. Right. That's, that's why I'm kind of where I'm at. I just, I just believe in what I, what I, what I represent. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. You know, I I think that's true of every role in an organization that you want to be proud of what your company does and what they provide the world, but particularly for salespeople that are out there, like literally convincing people to use the thing and like representing what it is and does comparing it to competitors, you know, drill it, like really building belief, right? And you cannot build belief in someone else without having the belief yourself. I mean, you can, but it'll, it'll steal your soul. You know know what I mean? Like that's, that's a really, you're not going to last long doing that. Right. So that's, that's well put and really interesting and a compliment to your, your employer and your former employers and your future employers. uh, If if you don't stick around for the next 30 years here. So yeah, really, really appreciate that perspective and, and just you taking the time some of the insights just around 
kind of your your personal journey through both you know your own mental health over the last year managing others thinking through culture really interesting stuff and and i'm really grateful for you taking the time to talk to us today yeah jordan i really appreciate this conversation and as well as the opportunity to to join you here awesome well thanks for listening to bragworthy culture and we'll see you next week